Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Talking Heads podcast with me, Saul Walker. And me, Lucy Chamberlain. With lockdown limitations continually adjusting and the summer now looking us beautifully in the eye, we continue with regular discussions about our respective horticultural worlds. Putting the pandemic's grip on us aside, we sincerely hope that you found enough moments to quietly contemplate, distract yourself, gaze in wonder and generally pour positive and fruitful energy into this most glorious and rewarding of hobbies, which, for Saul and myself, we are lucky enough to also call our profession. Restrictions are still with us, experiences are still unprecedented, but Lucy and I hope that by providing you with a continued shortened version of this podcast every few days, you can easily fit a small dose of horticultural musings into your routine. We will, of course, still bring you longer bonus episodes too, when we chat to inspirational peers on more in-depth gardening topics. So fire up the kettle, get comfortable in your favourite chair and join us now for a 20-minute escape into the busy and exciting world of the modern head gardener. So you're joining me just sitting in my back garden after a hard day of work at Stonelands. Uh, I love to come out and sit here when the weather's nice, just to relax and just gather my thoughts. Last two weeks have been interesting weather-wise. Roughly a fortnight or so ago, we had those incredible temperatures all over the south of the UK. Um, The southwest wasn't immune to that, although it wasn't quite in the 30s like the southeast, we were up in the high 20s. And it wasn't very pleasant. And then since uh, probably last Friday, we've had some incredible torrential thunderstorms and rain here. So um, it's nice to actually get outside the blue sky, a bit of wispy cloud above me. It's quite nice to come out and see how the jungle, as I affectionately call it, is looking. So those who listen to the podcast quite regularly know that I absolutely love my exotics. Uh, The exotic planting scheme of big leaves, bright flowers really appeals to me and it probably comes from my love of orchids, which is where my career started, but also my family ties to Singapore Um, and my trips around the world, especially places like Queensland in Australia and various other locations where the more exotic plants grow. And I'm very lucky because I live in the southwest, uh, just on the outskirts of the city of Plymouth. And down here we have ideal climate to grow a lot of things that maybe the rest of the UK, uh, especially the northern parts of the UK, probably couldn't get away with. Although there are some po- outlying pockets on the southwest coasts of places like Scotland and Wales. So when I'm talking about exotics, I think two images come to mind, uh, two sort of styles of garden. The first one, which is is virtually most of my garden is the jungle look like uh, the jungles of Borneo or South America where we've got big leaves lots of green Uh, I must say there's all shades surrounding me at the moment and then later in the season from now really into September we'll start getting all the exotic flowers 
the Canners, the Gingers, the Brugmansias, and lots of other really interesting plants flowering. But there is another end to the exotic spectrum, and that is the dry exotics. Uh, and those are more your succulent and your cactus end. So you're looking at things like aeoniums, um, lots of uh, different kinds of cactus, all the way from the really dry pincushion types, uh, the echinoceruses, all the way up to the more the jungle um, types of cactus, epiphelium and uh, the the rat's tails and the, the, the jungle cactuses. Um, but you've also got things like the aloe family, uh, echeverias, uh, the sempervirens, all kinds of uh, different exotic-looking plants, but thrive more in a, a well-drained, uh, slightly less damp climate. I am starting to grow more of those at home and actually things like the aloe family especially really uh really interest me so what i'm hoping to do is get up from my chair although that's quite hard because it is very nice to have a sit down after a day's work and just have a a, a walk through the garden and just talk about a few of my favorite plants hopefully describe them to you through this podcast and hopefully get you a bit interested in the more exotic end. Um, before I stand up, because I'm going to sit a bit more, why, why can't I? I just explain that my garden, we only moved into the house about four years ago. This is the first house I've owned, so it's basically the first garden that I've able to put my stamp on. The house and the garden is actually part of the back garden of the house next door. Uh, the guy next door is a builder and he actually built this house in his back garden and uh, took part of his garden to to make the garden here. And therefore, it's very highly terraced, quite a steep terrace as well. We've got three three levels. Uh, the first level, which is in line with the, the base of our house, uh, is all patio. Uh, and it runs down the length of the house. So it's not a square patio. It's actually one of the, a sort of a long uh, and narrowish strip, um, which is quite nice because it means I can run the jungle element all the way down. You get a nice sight line all the way down, uh, roughly 20 or 30 metres of leaves. So it gives an, uh, a nice feeling of a green corridor all the way down the house. And the second and the third terrace, I haven't actually even started yet. So there's lots of room for me to expand um, not just my plant collection, <laughs> which if you ask my other half, I probably don't need to do, but also just to get some uh, interesting landscaping. We're hoping to put a deck up there and just make the garden a little bit more uh, user-friendly than just a huge number of plants. So in essence, that's uh, my garden. So we're going we're gonna to walk down the green corridor, the jungle corridor, as I call it, and just have a look at a few of the plants uh, that are looking interesting at the moment. A few of the things that I have collections of, um, certain genus uh, and types of plants that I really love. So I'm down at the end where my French doors come out of my living room into the garden, which I have framed by two ginormous Brugmansia. Um, they're Brugmansia Charles Grimaldi, which is quite a common variety you probably can find it in uh, a good garden center and it has these absolutely glorious yellow trumpets and they are smelling fantastic now i have a collection of roughly i think it's 15 varieties of brugmansia um, all 
different types. Um, if you know Brugmansia, there are six uh, separate wild species, of which most of them are extinct or highly hybridized in the wild now, so they probably don't exist. But from those six species, we get all of our fancy hybrids. And for those of you who haven't tried Brugmansia uh, and are a bit worried about them, because I know they have this reputation for a, being poisonous, but B, obviously not being on the hardy end, I'd say give it a go because they're a lot hardier, I'm experiencing, than uh, at first sight. I'm going to experiment with one of my Charles Grimaldi because I have three in the garden now outside for this winter um, just to see how it gets on. I know in previous gardens I have had them and I've left them outside not out of uh, negligence but just forgetting and although the top growth has died off they did come from the base and actually make a really handsome tree shrub within a year and lots of flower so really well worth it and opposite Charles Grimaldi I've also got a new variety for me which is called Canary Bird and is turning into an absolute genuine classic Brugmansia the the growth it's put on this year it must be in the order of six foot and the flowers are amazingly large and probably even better scent than Charles Grimaldi. So that might be my go-to uh, yellow brug. Lots of uh, the Brugmansia family are yellow, so trying to choose your favourite is quite difficult, but um, Canary Bird's definitely got my vote. Also down this end, I've got um, the start of my ginger collection. I have approximately 25 to 30 ginger species and varieties, which I'm growing. But the one that we grow very well down here, and one I highly recommend to anyone getting into ginger growing, is a variety called Devon Cream, which has its origin at Great Dixter, where it was called Dixter. But its heritage has been traced back to Devon. And there are many different varieties that probably should be lumped together. There is a variety called Tresco 1 that is probably just the same variety. But it's an incredibly vigorous, uh, large-leaved, beautifully large, whitish cream flower. Lots of scent. And it is pretty hardy. If you treat it like a, a dahlia that you would keep in the ground, you will get it back coming back every year. Probably its only thing is it gets very vigorous. So you have to make sure you keep on top of it to make sure it doesn't take over that part of the garden. But as a ginger variety, I highly recommend it. Also uh, down this end, I have the start of my Colocasia collection. So... For those of you who don't know Colocasia, uh, they're the big elephant's ears. Now, many of the people grow them as houseplants, but there are lots and lots of species and varieties that will grow quite happily outdoors. Some are even incredibly hardy. So down here, I can see four of my best, um, starting with a variety called Coal Miner, which I think outstrips um, some of the, the blacker-leafed Colocasia, such as Black Magic and, uh, and um, Coral Black. Uh, absolutely lovely smudgy black leaf. Grows quite large, about a foot, two foot long. Uh, absolute um, triumph of the, the blacker leaves. Uh, then we've got a, a greener leaf one here with uh, the, one of the red stems called Pink China. Classic variety of Colocasia and incredibly hardy, but will spread via stolons throughout the bed. So again, you've got to be careful that that doesn't take over. Although I think a big expanse of these massive elephants ears 
I wouldn't say no. Next door, we have Colicasia uh, esculenta fontesii, um, which is probably my favourite of the, the glossy Colicasia. And this one has really dark purple stems and veins. Oh, it's, it's an absolute gorgeous one. Again, that will spread via stolen, so another one to be careful of if you plant it out. And then lastly, we have Jack's Giant. Now, there's lots of the uh, giant range of Colicase. You've got Jack's Giant, you've got Thai Giant, uh, there's Laos Giant. Jack's Giant's the one I've got. And although I do get really big leaves, uh, at the moment they're roughly four foot in length, uh, I have seen pictures of them getting up to two metres and being an absolute massive uh, in more tropical climbs. So one day I'm hoping that I can get a really big leaf to impress people with, which would be really nice. I'm also flanked by another classic exotic plant, which are the bananas. Um, I grow four or five different types of banana, but the two classics and, and the best for a garden setting are uh, Musa Basdu and Musa sicamensis. Um, Musa Basdu is meant to be the hardiest of all the bananas, and I must say this one's now been outside for two years and has no problem growing away in my West Country garden. Um, eventually that one will flower. Now Sycamensis uh, is a little less hardier, although again it's been out for two years in my garden, um, but it's a far more regal plant. The leaves are held upright, they're big, paddle-shaped, ribbed, and as a sort of structural plant I really do like Musa Sycamensis over Musa Basdu. Also, Sycamensis doesn't tend to flower, so you tend to get absolutely enormous plants. And at the moment, mine is roughly 9 to 10 feet. So I'm hoping for another season out of that before I probably have to chop it down and let the offset uh, grow and replace it. So that's one end of the garden. We're just going to head down the garden a bit more. Um, just going past one of my all-time favourite plants, uh, favourite families, is uh, Araliaceae. So uh, your ivies and your fatsia. But there are many other different uh, genus that you should try in your garden. One of them is Brassiaeopsis, which is from Asia Minor, um, from the foothills. So it can take quite low temperatures. And they've all got these amazing paddle-like, uh, not paddle-like, sorry, palm-like leaves. Some people have said it's a, it's a bit like marijuana. Uh, which I guess it does have that look, but um, it's uh, really um, prickly and it's just, it just looks amazing among all the other foliage. I've also got um, some of the tree dandelions, uh, Soncus, from uh, places like the Madeira and the Canary Islands. I have Fruticosa and Arboreus. Uh, Arboreus is an amazingly cut leaf, whereas Fruticosa is a bit fuller. fuller. And these will be make quite large trees. I've seen them in Madeira, roughly 12 foot high. Uh, and yes, they look just like giant dandelions and they'll flower like massive dandelions big yellow flowers um, and big seed heads afterwards so um, I'm looking forward to those flowering I'm just going past my cedar greenhouse which is my prize and joy um, probably going to change uh, get a bit a bit echoey in the greenhouse in the summer because it's south facing most of the plants are taken out because it gets a bit hot in here although I've got shades it can get up to 30 degrees but I've got a lot of cuttings and offsets uh, growing and 
I must say that warm weather has actually driven growth through the roof. So I've got things like um, more colocasias coming, some brugmansia cuttings. My epiphelums are in here enjoying the humidity. I've just got into the genus Passiflora, the passion flowers. Uh, and thanks to my friends uh, up near uh, Barnstable, uh, just at a place called Yelland, the Devon Subtropical Garden, which is run by Steve and Dawn up there. Uh, they are experts on growing passion flowers, and they've given me uh, a lot of my varieties to play with. So I'm very grateful of that. I also have some of my tropical gingers in here. So although there's a lot of hardy gingers, uh, which we grow all over the UK, there are a lot of tropical gingers you can try too. And I've also experimenting with two heliconias which are the lobster's claw uh, type of ginger i'm not sure i'm going to get away with a flower although the growth is looking good i just think the season's a bit too short in the uk so i'll probably just have to put with, up with them being a curiosity also got a couple of orchids in here uh, in the dendrobium genus uh, a lot of australian orchids because uh, they tend to be able to take lower temperatures in winter so i can get away with having uh, even though the greenhouse is heated get away with that being uh, a lower temperature right i'm just out of the greenhouse and i'm just going past and i grow a climber every year up my greenhouse to act as a natural uh, shading so this year i've tried ipomia labata or the spanish flag and it has been amazing didn't germinate for four months i was about to give up and then suddenly a leaf came and uh, in the last two months the thing is almost swallowing the greenhouse hole the flowers are very different on ipomia labata and they're not trumpet shapes like your classic morning glory they uh, run along a, uh, a stem and there's lots of little flowers and they change from white through yellow to red so that's why it's called the spanish flag and next to my greenhouse i've got a potting bench now i have a potting bench outside um, because I like to work outside when I'm uh, in the garden and it just makes sense because I've got all my plants around me and I can, I can grab what I want, whether I'm doing cuttings, uh, whether I'm potting things on, whether I'm splitting things up. It just makes it a lot easier than grabbing things and having to go inside all the time. And the only drawback with that is that obviously I get wet when it rains, but such is life, such is life. And at the moment, uh, my potting bench has got a lot of pleonies on, um, so I grow a lot of hardy orchids and my pleony collection is looking pretty good. I've got some very plump pseudo bulbs to put in the fridge over winter uh, and then hopefully we'll get some beautiful flowers in the spring which I will share with you all on Twitter. Now we're heading down to the other end of the green jungle and this end gets a little bit more sun. This is where I keep a lot more of the the sort of dry exotic plants that I was talking about earlier and one of the collections that I've really started putting together this year is a collection of proteaceae plants so hopefully everyone will know the king protea if you've been to Tresco or to far west of Cornwall I'm sure you would have seen the amazing big sort of brush shaped flowers that you can get on the proteas but now I'm collecting both uh, that and banksias uh, so most of the banksias are from West Australia and the proteas are all from mostly from South Africa uh, it's still a small collection only two years old but there's some amazing foliage shapes and I'm hoping for some amazing flowers I do have what appears to be the first flower coming but I'm thinking that might abort itself as it's still a young plant but we'll see and I'm really hoping to expand this collection as I expand the garden.
Also uh, down here we've got some more Brugmansias. Um, I've got uh, another classic in the in the genus Grand Marnier, which is a, a more whitish cream flower, but a lot bigger than the other flowers. And again, just the scent is amazing, especially in the evenings. This is one of the reasons I like to come out in the evenings, not just because I'm at Stonelands all day, but because the Brugmansia scent is incredibly intense. And I think it means you get a better night's sleep as well. So um, I like to have a good sniff of that before I go to bed. Now we've got some gingers flowering down here. We've got uh, Hedicium densiflorum sorung just coming out. Uh, the flower's about a foot high. Oh, absolutely gorgeous peachy pink flower. We've also got, I've just noticed, Hedicium wardii, which is one of my rarer species. You don't see it too often. And that has a very unusual yellow flower, which it looks a bit like a pansy and has a very uh, uh, classic sort of coconutty uh, scent. Uh, and I'm quite taken with it. Um, very different from the, the sort of Gardrianum densiflorum uh, coccinium end of the ginger uh, family. So I'm probably going to try and propagate that a bit because it's still a small plant. I would like to get more. Um, just, tr just trying to get all the foliage out of the way. One of the problems with exotic planting is that although at the start of the season everything looks small and little buds coming above the above the uh, compost in the pots by the end of the season roughly now everything is about five to ten times bigger than when you started and once what once and what was once a path that you could easily navigate from one end of the garden to the other is now overgrown. And although a machete would be appropriate, I don't want to ruin some of these beautiful plants. I'm just going past another Brigmancia, which is in a different group to the Charles Grimaldi Grand Marnier section, and that's called uh, Brigmancia mabissu. It has quite a crinkled leaf and the flower is far more bottle shaped uh, because it has one a different species from the others. But it has a slight scent which is quite nice. And again I'm going to try and propagate that one. Really easy to propagate Brugmansias. Literally cut a stem and stick them in some water and within two to three weeks you'll have roots which you can pot up. Now we're just coming to the end of the garden and to be honest I've probably passed about 300 plants that I could talk to you about but I thought I'd just end up down by the stairs that lead up to the terrace with my passion flowers that I've grown on and I was given a really good tip by Steve about passion flowers if your passion flower isn't flowering it's because the stems are going directly upwards and what happens in the wild is passion flowers will grow up something a tree a shrub and then when they reach the top they all spread out and the stems will become lax or sideways or start drooping downwards and that's what initiates the buds to start flowering so what I've done is I'm starting to grow them and I, and I did see this done at Kew with their collection I'm growing them up obelisks so what happens is when you get a long stem you start wrapping it around the obelisk and that initiates that um, being at the top of the shrub and flowering um, sort of feel and at the moment, it's working really well. I've got Sue Beardshaw here and Fata Confetto flowering, and I can see lots more buds. Um, they're still young plants, so I think this year we'll just have a slight flowering, but I'm hoping next year I'll have them trained all the way to the top of the obelisk. Anyway, we've reached the end to my shed. Uh, lots of uh, plants uh, just everywhere. Um, I, I have... Uh, 
I don't really have a garden feel to my garden, although it, it does feel like a garden when you're in it. It is more a collection of plants. I think that comes from my botanic garden training at Kew. I, uh, I'm very much a plantsman uh, first, I believe, and a, and a gardener second, although gardening is obviously my main trade. But um, my plants here make up a sizable collection, and I do like collecting different species and varieties of a set plant group, and then trialling them and seeing which ones do well for me, which ones don't. And then I will cull them at the end of the season. For example, I've got too many of the yellow trumpeted Brugmansia. Some of them are going to have to go and make room for other colours and other types so I can trial them. So I'm not too precious about having keeping all the plants. I really like to make sure that I get the best examples of each variety and species in the garden long term. But hopefully, eventually, when I get the two terraces above, we're going to have uh, more collections. I'm hoping to get a lot more ferns, uh, especially tree ferns up there. Um, I'm also hoping to plant out some of the bananas and actually really start growing some serious uh, clumps and sizes of the colocasia as well. So I'm hoping by next year, uh, I'll probably do another podcast and hopefully have to talk a little quicker as I'll have to venture around the whole garden. But hopefully that's given you a bit of an idea of what's going on here. And, you know, if you're interested in exotic plants, please follow me on Twitter, especially at this time of year. Most of my posts are about them. There's a really nice community on Twitter of exotic growers. There's a good five, six of us who are besotted by them. So please, yeah, get in touch. Please ask questions and I'm sure, you know, I can help you answer them. But I hope you've enjoyed it and uh, see you on the next podcast. So that concludes today's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed listening and would love any feedback or reviews you feel compelled to give us via your preferred podcast provider or social media platform. Life in the garden and out of it continually evolves for all of us. There is now reference to a new kind of normal, and we are excited to hope that this will bring opportunities to visit gardens, friends and colleagues old and new, so we can gradually adjust from virtual to actual worlds. Specialist nurseries, gardening charities, small businesses and self-employed individuals will still rely on us for financial support and encouragement over the coming weeks and months. We hope everyone in this profession is digging deep and finding ways to flourish. We are continually thinking of you all. Until the next episode of Talking Heads, goodbye! goodbye.